the game, knew the players by their first name, told the umpire he was wrong all along, good and strong. Welcome to the second part of Take Me Into the Ball Game's discussion of Spaceman. If you yeah, missed Spaceman. our introduction to the film, overgrade of the 20 to 80 scouting scale, discussion of baseball accuracy and some other tools, go ahead and check out part one of this podcast because right now you are listening to part two. Yeah, what's up, gerbil squad? <laughs> Yes, you would understand that reference if you listened to part one. You'd like sort of understand it. I think, you know what? I got it because I listened to part one. I was, um, sorry, I, this feels like it's worth mentioning. It just popped into my head. Uh, and it comes from gerbils, actually. And okay. I was reading something written by a guy who had done some research on like different versions of the kind of like idiom or phrase of like the lights are on but nobody's home or like you know one beer short of a six pack or whatever and apparently there was some scandinavian one i want to say it's swedish but i'm not entirely sure that the translation of it was the wheel is spinning but the hamster is dead oh my gosh (laughs) oh my gosh isn't that incredible? It's incredible and also sad and terrible. And like, I wonder what would happen if I said it at like a social event, sort of like it was a thing that we all knew, you yeah. know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be very contextual. I invite <laughs> you to try. Okay. I invite you to accepted. try. I'm also going to invite you to talk about our next tool for evaluating Spaceman, which is storytelling. Oh, it's... You know, I'm going to quote a very wise person who said, this is tough because... That's me. I'm the wise person. (laughs) It's true. So the movie, it sort of lets us know what it's about pretty early on. And that's with a quote from Roger Kahn. Uh, I think it is directly from The Boys of Summer. Mm -hmm. And it is... Unlike most, a ball player must confront two deaths. And, you know, the implication being that when you can't play anymore, that's one of your deaths. You know, it's a statement on just like how passionate ball players are about baseball. And so this movie, in one sense, is about Bill Lee's confrontation with that first death Mm -hmm. and like sort of defeat of it. By just sort of deciding to continue playing how and wherever he could because of this love of baseball. But, you know, it's tough for a biopic to deal largely with this window of time where, like, you're not really doing the thing and you're not really and not like in like in a kind of like past your prime, like your glory days are behind you sort of place and not in a, like, it's good to be alive, Roy Campanella inspirational story in quite the same The stakes are not quite as high as they are for it's good to be alive, yeah. And, you know, it's like you're staying in the game because of your love for it. Uh, It's like one way of looking at it, at least. And I don't know, like, I, I found it to be a sadly, like, I get why they chose this part of the 
Billy story for the movie. I don't know that they did it that well, number one. And I number two, it I don't know that it's as bad as like, let's just skip over all of the best years of Grover Cleveland Alexander's career. But like, it doesn't not do that. And I know that that's sort of the point, but it just seemed like there was a lot of time where I was like wishing to see something different. It felt like you're in the same space for a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about this. And the first yeah, thing... I'm still kind of wrapping my head around Yeah. The first thing that I want it. to say is that I think there's a lot to like about this movie. I, I Agreed. Think, I think that it is fundamentally well made. I think it's well shot. I think it's well edited. I think there's a lot of good dialogue. I think there's a lot of well-crafted moments. Um, we talked about how much we liked a lot of the performances uh, in our part one episode. So I want to put that out front. And... I think that working with the budgetary limitations that I'm going to guess that they had, I bet a lot of people who don't know as much about making movies can't tell what that limitation is. They just see, oh, Josh Duhamel is in this. All of these other recognizable people are in this. Totally. And... I bet that they can't even tell that that was a limitation on this movie. And I think that that is something to be really proud of. Like if I had been involved in the making of this film on any level, except for maybe as like a baseball fact checker where I would be like, ooh, a few things slipped by, I would have been really proud of what I was part of. And and I mean that. But that said, I think that this film, there are two things I think that there are some sort of macro and micro storytelling issues. Mm -hmm. And one of them isn't a storytelling issue, but that is simply a question of if you want to make a movie about Bill Lee, when do you want that movie to be? And like for me, obviously you said it in 1978. You want Bill Lee at his most Bill Lee. Yeah. But you're not making that movie for under a million dollars, not even close. So my guess is that they were like, this is probably about how much money we can get for this movie. And so like, let's figure out what's the Bill Lee story that we can tell if probably we're not going to get more than a million dollars to tell the story. And the baseball scenes that we need to film don't need to be convincing as a professional ballpark. 100%. Yeah. And, yeah right. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. we don't need a bunch of people who seem like convincing professional athletes. Right. Right. Like to me, it just looks like they were like, we love Bill Lee. We want to figure out a way to tell his story, but we know that we're not going to have however much money yeah. it would take if you were going to shoot in Fenway. Right. It's something that stories like this, you know, you can tell the story that you want to tell, but like, are you writing the $2 million version? Are you writing the $25 million version? Are you writing the $75 million version? Because all of those versions exist yeah. and, and they might all be great and excellent ideas. But if you are a filmmaker who uh, does not like have like Christopher Nolan's way... <laughs> or yeah. Steven Spielberg bucks, then um, Coppola Cash. That's my last one, I promise. That, um, yeah, you have, to, you have to be strategic about it. And so some of these things, I think you're right. Maybe we're just strategic choices. Yeah. However, I think even for the movie that they decided to tell, on a macro level, 
the film seems to kind of glide at a certain level structurally because that's what happened to Bill Lee. Like, Bill Lee is thrown out of baseball, and then it takes most of the movie for him to realize that that's what has happened, that he's not going back. When we, as an audience, can tell that that's what's happened, even if we don't know what actually happened to Bill Lee. Like, we we can tell, I would say, a third of the way into the movie, oh, he's not going back to Major League Baseball. And then there is not, in Billy's actual story, there's not a, like, the rookie-style comeback. So the movie becomes about him spinning his wheels, which is not a structurally interesting sports movie. You can make, like, a ponderous art house film about a person spinning their wheels, but that is not this. I mean, thank heaven, right? Yeah, and sometimes, like, I don't know, it plays a little bit to me at times, and this might come out meaner than I intended to be, that they inadvertently were like, let's take this inactive part of Bill Lee's life and find a way to make it even less active yes. like like it, it, it's like oh but we're gonna do all these rewrites that actually make this like kind of boring to watch because how interesting is it to watch someone like wait for a job when they're like you know you're not getting a job so yeah. we're just waiting for you to figure it out and that's the movie like it's just a real thing that happened which granted again is a thing that probably would have been a lot more expensive to replicate in even a bad way right it's more interesting though I agree. On the other hand, I feel like even if you're committed to the, oh, well, we're dramatizing this by being like, also his marriage is falling apart and he can't, you know, he mm-hmm. can't even see his kids anymore. Although we'll get to yeah, that in one like moment. Add add that drama. Pile, there. pile on the drama. Have him, you know, partying with a bunch of people and having a... Having like a rock bottom moment, kind of. Sort of having a rock bottom moment, having a drug dealer living in his basement, all those kinds of things. The ultimate moral of the movie, I actually really like. I like, it's saying that if you really love something, you're going to keep doing it. Even when there's no money in it, even when there's no fame in it. Yeah. Even when... The world tells you that you're not going to be able to do it at the level you are accustomed to. And I think that that's a lovely moral on which to land, right? Yeah. It's not about he got back to where he was and now he, you know, he's getting paid at least the league minimum or whatever. Like the moral is sort of that tenacity is a virtue for its own sake, not just for what it gets you. That devotion is a virtue for its own sake, not just for what it will get you. That- yeah, and I mean, it even ends with that other quote, the like, uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like, you know, you you may think that you like are grabbing onto it, but it's actually grabbing onto you. You spend like, your life thinking that you're gripping a baseball, but in the end, it's baseball that's gripping you. It's something yeah, like that. We're and I do think that we see that. Yeah. What you get is you get a life of doing what you love and not freaking compromising. And I think that's beautiful. The thing that... <laughs> the movie is kind of a journey from one quote to the other quote. Yeah. And I, what what they have Bill Lee saying is, I keep playing because I have no choice. I'm a ball player. And that I like this moral is a big reason why I said that I think there's a lot in the film to like. 
But I think that the problem is it doesn't even stick the landing of that story. And I think what the movie could do, and this is a pitch, let me know if that's okay. Oh, well, we're on such a long elevator ride, you might as well give it to me. We we just need a climactic game between Longay and New Brunswick. He drives all the way back from Arizona, and then we don't see the dang game. Like, we need to see Lee, you know... Get a grounder out for a double play with like batters on second and third. And we need to see him get a like walk off RBI double and his kids cheering and high fiving Ernie Hudson's wife. Like, yeah, or even if it's just like a higher stakes emotionally kind of game where we see him sort of like something happen that's like maybe a bad thing. That still allows us to see something change and him be like, I'm so like lucky to be doing this and then just like start having fun and playing and 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 all of that. But like, yeah, some some kind of big game moment, whatever that looks like, would be really helpful. And it's a shame because of a a lot of what we see there aren't any stakes really to the games that we see there. There are the stakes of like. Is Bill going to abandon the senators for his tryout? Right. Which is sort of like what it kind of tells. There's a little bit of, a, I don't know, geography inaccuracy in that also. Because when he is having his heartfelt phone call to his ex-wife and the sun is setting and he's saying that he's in Arizona, that as early as that could be is Friday night because the tryout was on a Friday. And then the game, which is going to be like in the day, presumably, uh, was a Sunday game. And he drove his Volkswagen bus from the Montreal area to like presumably Scottsdale, Arizona, or somewhere in Arizona. And that's like, I think at best from my calculations, a like 40-hour drive. I so took how the does note, that work? It's a very quick drive back to Canada from Arizona. <laughs> I don't know why. It just seemed like, especially when it's made up. Right. Just just make up different days. Yeah. 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 He could try out on a Thursday or a Wednesday even. Let him see some sights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of sort of like, as I said, sort of micro storytelling issues. And I think that that is one of them. But I think the macro one is that like, it just needs to climb out of the valley of the middle of the movie, because that is what film structure is, right? Like, not that film, not that it needs to have a positive ending, but it needs some sort of a climax, right? Even if that is a negative thing happening. Or you need to have some kind of a trajectory that is like, you know, whether it's we start on the peak and then it's a tragedy and so it's a slow descent into the valley. Or we start in the valley and it's an inspirational movie, so we slowly, over the course of the movie, climb to the peak. But this movie is just sort of like... It starts at a peak and then it kind of like goes into a nice little valley that then just sort of like plateaus. Yeah. And that's just not a film structure. And then and then the person is like, you know what? I've decided I've been a plateau guy the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, because if you see us, the viewing audience, being super invested in the outcome of the game between Longay and New Brunswick, then it's like, oh, right, we care about this because it's baseball no matter what. 
Yeah. But by not showing it, like you don't get that same just sort of emotional climax payoff moment. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, I don't know that kind of thing. Things like the drive that are like unforced errors, like on top of that, just like like drive and like you add in the time that he got like stopped at the border by mounties and like that's not a mounties job first of all to be border police also they had a weimaraner the mounties don't use weimaraners they use purebred german shepherds what a joke yeah at least there was a dog <laughs> true we'll get to that in a later category but yeah there are some storytelling wobbles like some of them feel True to human mutability, but just not great to storytelling. And then some of them just feel messy. Like, for example, in this sort of same section of the movie, it lessens the choice that Lee makes to go back to see his kids and not explore the coaching job if he's not already said an absolute no to the coaching job in the previous scene, right? Yeah. So it sort of feels like there's this big change of heart moment, except for he already said, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, it feels real if it doesn't have a clean arc to it. But then his ex-wife complaining about how he doesn't stick up for the kids after he explicitly has no visitation rights to the kids feels like a real storytelling, just mistake, right? Like you can't be like, well, that's human nature. Like it's just, it's just a mistake. And then, like, the kids are suddenly back with him. Like, hooray, yeah, we get like to see He's, like, taking them to the game. On his 40-hour drive, in which he got stopped at the border and had to talk his way out of it and, like, try to make this game that he probably was super... Like, even if he drove straight through for two full days, would not likely be able to make it in time, even if he didn't sleep at all and wasn't get, getting stopped at the border... He has time to pick up those kids, though. Yeah. And the mom, the ex, was like, yeah, you go take the kids that you don't have any visitation rights to, to a ball game that I haven't had any interest in so far in coming to over the course of the movie. Yeah. How did that happen? That feels like actually <laughs> like a pretty sort of pivotal moment for the story that this particular movie is telling. Sure seems like it to me. And it seem, it all honestly feels like it would have just been a lot easier if the movie hadn't told us that he had no visitation rights like it made that choice and then it was like it just had never happened jk yeah i also feel like the movie has a problem introducing people it's gotten me in my head a little bit about like how do films normally introduce people so that we know who they are like who's the woman that Bill is talking to at the Stade Olympique, like in the in the hallways, at towards the beginning of the film, we I don't know because we just see her for that one scene, and she's like team representative who's a suit. Yeah, but yeah, but like I want, but she's I sort of know. introduced in a like Sorkin-y walk and talk kind of way, where you're like, oh, like I wonder what her story is going to be, and then she's just gone forever. Yes, completely. <laughs> yeah, and then. Is the guy who fires him the general manager or the player manager? Because obviously it's the general manager in Bill's own account of that scene in his book, which is uh, detailed. There's some dialogue taken from his book for that scene, which is very funny. But 
The fictional name of that character is Tim Manning, which sure sounds like Jim Fanning, but that was the player manager. This guy seems to be the GM. He seems to be more of a John McHale type. Yeah, but like his name is Tim Manning. Yeah. Anyway, then like when we first met Dick Dennis, I was like, who is this guy? Eventually we do figure it out, but there was something about the way that he was introduced that I was just like, it's another person that I don't really know who they are. And yeah, it just made me be like, how do films usually let you know who people are? Because this movie's not doing it. This is also like especially confusing in the context of seeing people who already had some level of fame, like when this was made, like to feel this level of dissatisfaction in addition to like seeing someone like Sterling K. Brown and Ernie Hudson and like them not getting good stories either. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, it becomes really, really frustrating. My other main thing that I'm wrestling with is it's kind of like pageant play-y. And I think that if there was a little bit of pushback on the Bill Lee perspective, it would have made it more interesting and it would have made the character of Bill Lee as depicted in this movie a little more interesting. Mm -hmm. Because... I think he kind of comes across as like a fairly simple man in this film. And I think he's a very complicated man. And I think that some reminder of that could have been worked into the storytelling better. For example, speaking of Sterling K. Brown playing Rodney Scott, him leaving the team, him like getting the boot and Bill Lee walking out in solidarity with him... Yeah, that's great. But that's like the only thing that we get. And what we get is just all to kind of like show that he is the hero standing up for everything. But like, if you were on a team, or if you were a fan of a team, where somebody who has not seemed to be on the up has an OPS of 486 and an OPS plus of 38... After 14 games, someone who had a decent number of steals because he was a speed guy when he was younger is suddenly got like, you know, a steal every three or four games or something like that, where it was like much, much more a number of years before. It's like, I mean, there's a case to be made that like when you're in professional baseball, you want to have the best people. I don't know. It seemed a lot more complicated actually or like I was like I feel like there's an argument against this and I'm not even sure that I agree with it but I kind of want to hear it yeah yeah and I feel like that was kind of like present throughout and that combined with the way I'm really glad that you liked it when you said the the giving the stats to me it just sort of felt like text that was copied and pasted so that everybody like it it just felt very like clunky to me Mm. um not that case specifically but like the full like accumulation of those moments where like everybody just seems to have all of these bill lee stats at the ready that are around bill lee just seemed there's something about the stats that are pulled and something about the book It's like, it's very well written and it's very entertaining, Mm -hmm. but his kind of like Oscar Wildean sayings kind of just being like slipped in as there's just something that like felt clunky about it to me. Mm. 
did you not like I don't know maybe maybe that maybe I'm an outlier in feeling that way but no that didn't feel strange to me I mean you know it sort of feels like Bill Lee has natively so many zingers that of course you're going to try to put some of them in um, or you're going to try to make sure that even if it's not a Bill Lee original that you're putting into the movie that it feels like it's a sort of a Bill Lee type of a thing to say so I don't think that bothered me. I do think that that it felt like if there were like a Ellen Adair movie, and somebody, or like even just or just like in real life, if this is like sort of trying to be like a like a realistic moment, someone was like, "What? I thought you were going to book that job. You are, after all, someone who's been a recurring character on many shows such as Billions, Veep, like <laughs> The Sinner, and you're like." Yeah, but also like kind of a weird thing, like a weird thing to elaborate on in this moment. I just like, I felt that way a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That just feels to me like movie exposition, right? Like a certain amount of that is always going to have to happen. And most of the time it was... It's a little strange in a movie. Most of the time it was used just to like gild his lily a little bit. It's particularly interesting when it's like, it's a movie that uses a lot of voiceover, so it doesn't have to, right? Like, yeah. I tend to be a proponent of not using voiceover if you can, but it's it's a useful expositional device to have voiceover. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do get your point that I think in some ways the Bill Lee that we see in this movie is not as intellectual as the actual Bill Lee. I mean, we get the Buckminster Fuller reference, which is sweet. Yeah, and like but, when when the wrong stuff is pitched, he's not like, I get it. He's like, the Tom Wolfe book, which kind of implies that like, if he hasn't read it, he at least like has re- has an awareness, like he's read a piece about the book if he hasn't read the book or something. Like like he is a a literary, intellectual person. I think it does an okay job of, of telling that story yeah i guess but i i think in terms of what bill lee's argument is about his teammates being released right like that doesn't totally come through because he doesn't end up having the argument with somebody where they're like well yeah but like his ops is whatever you said like 450 or something like that right and so if he was then even in contradiction to that, able to give the reasons that he actually gives in f- with far more eloquence and that are in some ways a lot more principled in his book than even appear in the movie. Like, I think, I think that that is a good point. I Man, do want to mention yeah, yeah, yeah. that I, I really like the moment when Sterling K. Brown as Rodney Scott says that he's sticking around for the cold cuts because I love charcuterie. And he, it almost like feels like he mispronounces it, like that video of the player in the dugout saying it was charcuterie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I I enjoyed that. And like, I also, I this is sort of the same period of the movie. I really enjoy the moment in the conversation with the GM when Bill says, I'm paraphrasing here. It's something like, I'm going somewhere that lets me be myself, someone who knows how to treat its employees with respect and dignity and loyalty. And the GM is like, when you find that place, see if you can get me a job. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it was really good. But I, I do feel like there's, it felt like mostly Bill the hothead that came forward and not sort of Bill the philosopher yeah, in those and scenes. Even the moments where we see him meditating or you know whatever like it, it's often in service of like a look at this offbeat guy yeah look at this wacky guy and i don't know maybe maybe that could have helped man i don't i don't know exactly what i do know though is that like it's really frustrating for me with this one because i don't think it's a terrible movie by any means um i just like i feel like i can i feel like it got so close yeah i agree and it just like it just like doesn't quite get there for me yeah no i i also agree i think for any number number of ways yeah, yeah i think they're both micro and macro there's like an overall structural problem and then there's all kinds of like little inconsistencies like some of the ones that we've pointed out that just sort of gradually erode the believability of the world that you're seeing yeah yeah and i know like the thing is it's so hard to make something that's even sort of like kind of missing the mark like this. Like I, maybe there are, you know, we talk about things that we would like to see. We often are like, Oh, it would be good if this were here or if this weren't there. But like, I don't know that I like have the solution here. Like I just, I just know that like, didn't feel like it was fully like delivering on the things that I thought it was telling me it was going to deliver. Yeah. So Let's get to the heart of the matter, which is that opening shot. Is it possible to know whether or not Bill Lee did cook pancakes mostly in the nude plus an apron? It feels like a real make up and here's why. Being nude slightly negates the need for an apron. An apron is mostly there to protect your clothes. Like, if you get food on your bare chest, it's very easy to clean. Yeah. And I feel like this feels like exactly the kind of logic that Bill Lee would be behind. It feels definitely like, oh, that that feels like the in the spirit of the guy or whatever. And he did sprinkle marijuana on his pancakes and got a fine for sort of like talk about that in high times for I think it was two hundred and fifty dollars take this for whatever it's worth but there was an interview where he said that after sort of protesting that he never actually was smoking it that in the letter that he got from Bowie Kuhn informing him of the fine that it was for using it as a condiment yeah well actually I feel like this is a very important point and I understand that it was sort of a laugh line for him to be like, no, 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 I never said that I smoke it. I said that I use it. But I really want to know how much sprinkling some bud on your pancakes activates the THC. I can tell you that it's probably not very much. Right? I mean, he would say that, like he said many times, it was like one of another arrow in the quip quiver of like how it helped and or he really thought that that it helped him sort of stay level dealing with like traffic exhaust as he was like jogging but the thing is like cannabinoids need heat to activate just eating raw cannabis will not make you high it might provide you with other like anti-inflammatory benefits but it won't make you high yeah because like if it did 
then like people probably wouldn't smoke it to begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need the heat. And that's why like people, you know, even when you, when you have like a baked good or whatever, that's because it's been like cooked down in like butter or oil or syrup. Yeah, of you some can't just kind. like mix it into your brownies. It has to be in the butter that you goes can. into the brownies. It, it, you're just going to make your brownies taste gross. Yeah, and you're not going to get as high. So if that's what you want, then that's what you should do. But yeah, so I felt like there's actually a distinction. I mean, obviously in this movie we also see him smoke plenty of pot, but sure. but yes. Yeah. I also, one sequence that I really enjoyed was where he's going to the mailbox to look for the letter mm-hmm. coming. And especially because it's set up by, quote, like any good Buddhist, I intended to stay entirely unattached to the results. And then you see him subsequently becoming more and more frustrated as he goes to the mailbox and there is nothing. And I feel this so strongly, especially since basically this is your entire life as an actor (laughs) on a weekly basis. Like what he experienced for that short period of time is an actor's almost entire career. And you will invariably have a friend who's like, all you need is a positive mental attitude. No, no, a positive mental attitude is just part of what you need. It's like, it's, I mean, honestly, it's sort of like the question of Ted Lasso, like, how far can a positive attitude actually take you? Right, right, right. I also wanted to note that I feel like the shot of him doing yoga in those jeans is helpful because it gives us the same, what is he doing feeling that people would have had at the time because i was like oh my god he's doing yoga in jeans <laughs> oh terrible whereas people at the time would have been like what is he doing yeah, yeah. no it's true also i don't know if they are josh duhamel's idea or if it's like the wardrobe person but given that there's two of them and one of them might not be wardrobe i'd almost bet that they're his idea two things i absolutely love the scene in which he has like large and visible crumbs in his beard Oh my god, it's on my short list for a favorite moment. Oh, sorry if I'm getting to it. No, no, it's... Too quickly. Look, again, like, I don't think this is a bad movie. Like, I actually, I had a really hard time thinking about least favorite moment, and I had, like, a lot of options for favorite moment. There's a lot of delightful stuff here. I also love when he's wearing the visor, and, like, the visor is on backwards. yeah. It's just, it's just like such a great choice. That was a moment where I was like, what I would give to look that good in a tank top and a visor. Especially a visor that's backwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, again, going back to the, the original quotation, the OG tough. quote, this is tough. Because after talking about it, like what I have written down is a 40, but I'm like, oh man, is it that? Because there's a lot of good stuff too that I do like. And just because it didn't like fully succeed at all the things it was setting out to do, like, is that the measure of it? The animation's like awesome. The animation is so good. We have not talked about how excellent it is and what a good storytelling solution it is if this is what your budget is. Like, I think it's genius. And since like one of the sequences has to do with like playing while high you get like the fun stuff of him in the outfield whether accurate or not like and the ball sort of like reassuring him like that that 
he's going to be caught by him and then him pitching like some sort of like amalgam of all of the gods yeah it's so good like it's really it's really really well done um it was one of those things that that i was just like no i just wish that i just wish that this dessert was a bigger portion but you know like how how can i not feel that way when i see something so well executed yeah Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm a 45. I'm also a 45. No, it feels correct. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I just think that there's enough, there's enough problems that I can't get it to a 50. I almost feel like I receive more than a 45 amount of enjoyment. Right. But there are just, there are a lot of, there's a lot of both macro and micro storytelling issues as we've discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Our next tool is delightfulness of catcher character and the main catcher character is claude and he does not it must be said he does not fit the archetypal mold of lovable team leader but i I feel like the doofy sweetness that we tend to associate with the catcher characters doesn't really mesh with the like quebecois hockey goalie vibe of claude yeah i mean maybe maybe a quebecois hockey goalie guy is the appropriate like like he like that vibe is like a good version of that vibe that he gives. Yeah. But but yeah, it is it is a decidedly uh, different thing that we get here. Yeah, and what I appreciated is that it is still a very specific character. Yeah. You know, like the missing tooth communicates a lot. It's not just kind of like oh, there's a catcher on this team, and we don't know much about him. Like. We feel we feel like we get a feeling for Claude. I enjoy that he's pissed at Bill for underestimating the New Brunswick hitters. And we get a little bit of translation comedy with him saying, tell him he's an arrogant, imperialist American prick. And Ernie Hudson translating it as, he respects that you're a big leaguer. Yeah, I think it's pretty, like, that dynamic is pretty, you know, he's not a huge character, but it's pretty successful. It is. On the other hand, there is a storytelling problem with Claude. And I don't know if the film is suggesting that Claude can completely understand what Bill is saying and just chooses to pretend like he can't. There's this moment later when Bill says, and we all know how to play this game. Maybe some of us play it a little better than others. Sorry, Claude. And Claude looks totally heartbroken. And I don't like the way this moment plays for a couple of reasons. Number one... It looks inconsistent on how much English Claude can understand, unless he was being intentionally reticent earlier. And I feel like this moment isn't enough to make a thing of that, Mm. right? Like, if that's your choice, then there needs to be a moment where, like, he speaks very fluid English and we're like, oh, you were getting him, right? Um, Sort of like in Mr. Baseball that moment that we get where it's like oh, the manager could speak English the whole time um oh you rascal and then there's also no payoff moment for this sad moment later like if we got the final climactic game versus new brunswick at the end or like claude calls a really good game or like throws a runner out a second or something like that and and bill embraces him and is like claude you're a great ball player then we get the payoff for these moments of antagonism or 
or because you have this moment in the script, then you just have like Claude laugh it off because he's like, oh, that's just Bill. And like Bill laughs it off. But like he looks like he's been told that he's fired from his job or something. He looks really upset. And it's like the last Claude moment that we get in the movie. It's just sort of sloppy storytelling. Again, the secondary characters are just kind of like underdeveloped. Yeah. I also, this is not the catcher's fault, but there is a moment when they're first playing when you see this full body shot of Claude and it's kind of like a visual gag. He's wearing like a sort of like hockey mask and he's got like hockey pads Mm -hmm. and he comes up and this is like, this is leading into the conversation that he has where he's like, I don't want to throw any fastballs because like, I don't want to waste my arm on this like, kind of like whatever game that I definitely don't care about. Not at all. And it goes into the close up shot. There was a bright, like white goalie mask comes up and we get the, the two shot and the mask is pitch black. They have the scene and then out of him going back and taking his position and the mask is white again so who needed their mask so much that they had to change masks between setups yep this you know what i didn't even notice let them have the mask for just like the the whole day guys right right yeah yeah exactly this black mask they found looks nicer anyway our rental mask has expired we have to get it back to like the costume corner spelled with k's yeah like five o'clock it's just it's it's not a big deal at all but it was just like a funny thing of like you go from a bright white mask to a pitch black mask back to a bright white mask i feel like i'm often good at picking up things like that and i didn't notice it at all Mm. that said these are not things that i'm counting against the delightfulness of catcher character i just feel like i i just had to talk about it yeah I do also enjoy the catcher at spring training when, quote unquote, Manny Moss is saying, what's my name? And the catcher says, I think it's probably douchebag. Very high delight to scream time ratio. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Packs a lot of punch in for that amount of time. So despite my annoyances, I still feel like it's a 55 delightfulness of catcher character overall. I'm at a 50. And I think I'm going to stick with that. I, f- I feel like I totally get 55, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and stick with my guns on this one. I think 50 is probably fairer, but I think I, even though it is not the catcher archetype, I appreciate a new entry into possible kinds of distinctive catcher character. Yeah, he's, he's his own kind of catcher character, yeah. which is definitely like definitely the thing that kept him from being like a 45 or a 40 for me. For sure. I also like the performance of the actor. Our next tool is delightfulness of announcer. I mean, you know, we get some announcing here and there, but we never really see an announcer. There's like some over the title credits as we're like being kind of like caught up to speed as it were. And, you know, we get some in the animation of game seven, um, you know, like it's nice to get a little flavor of those, of those dudes. There's the radio in mm-hmm. the bar game. Yeah. Kurt Gowdy. That's cool. You know, but like, uh, there's not really anything there so uh, it's it's a pretty straightforward 30 it's a 30 it's basically just like a non-zero amount of announcer yeah so 
Our final tool is lack of misogyny, so phrased such that a positive score is a good thing, right? Yeah. So there's some misogyny depicted in this movie, for sure. There's some derogatory usage of calling people pussies, which feels accurate, probably, but it's still misogynist. And uh, Joe, quote, just wants to be free of his naggy ass wife for a few hours. That's the big one for me. Yeah. Because, like, I almost wonder if it was meant to be a joke. Because she looks so nice. She's so she's so nice. She looks like sweet. She's like there at the game when they had already established that it was mostly hobos that go to the game. Yeah. Like her dad looks well enough put together that Billy like thinks he's a scout for a second. And he's like, oh man, this chick, man, she's like on my last nerves. Like, oh, the old ball and chain. Like it it leans into that so much that I was like. Is this a bit that is just like not totally fully landing. like landing? Because, and I don't know if that just means it wasn't established or whatever, but it comes off as like really odd to me. Yeah. This like naggy ass wife stuff and it cuts to her, but like it doesn't feel, it doesn't totally feel like a, like a comic cut to. Right. And, and we never, and it never really goes anywhere with the character of Joe. This is not like part of an arc that's leading somewhere. It's just there are these like couple of weird like references to his like frickin' wife that just kind of like are left to hang there. And and I just wasn't sure what to do with them. But since it's at the sweet looking wife's expense and I didn't find it funny, then it feels sort of misogynist. Yeah. Yep. I definitely think it's misogynist. On the other hand, I think this movie could do a lot worse. The ex-wife character isn't particularly complex, but she's also not depicted as a villain. And there's sort of like very true, yeah. the key moment in the movie when he's like, I don't remember exactly what it is, but he says something like, you know, the annoying thing about ex-wives is sometimes they're freaking right. Yeah. And, you know, it would be so easy to make her the villain. I have read those characters in a lot of scripts. Sometimes I have to audition for them. We have seen them in many movies. This movie doesn't do that. Yeah, although it does, like, her getting, like, everything in the divorce except for the Volkswagen and the magazine subscriptions, basically, did feel in the moment that it was telling a story of like the greedy ex-wife taking everything a oh, little bit. Yeah. And the custody stuff also kind of does that as well. Yes, I agree. But in that scene, she's it's almost like she's like, I couldn't do anything else. This just happened because of your yeah yeah lack of responsibility. I don't know that I completely buy that, but like it doesn't appear to make her super vindictive. I did not love that moment in that scene. It felt a little extreme to me. But another thing to mention is there are three other female characters. Even if they're smaller characters, the good thing is none of them are love interests, right? Mm -hmm. So we have the bartender who's smart, right? Who knows what's going on, who knows yeah. what's going on about the people signing the petition and the, the fact pre -Eric that... The pre-Eric Gagné bartender. Yes, yes. And the fact that, that nobody's ever going to have Bill back. And then there's the woman who works at the Stade Olympique, even though we never know who she is. And there's Bill's daughter. And... There's that pool shark, too. 
Oh, there's the pool shark. Oh my gosh, I forgot all about Who, her. Like, yeah, kind of I mean, hustles him and is no nonsense. She's she awesome. was freaking awesome. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it could be that I liked the moment that it's his daughter who knows his stats, even though they're wrong. Um, I believe that they're right in the world of this film. Because it would just be very easy to give that line to one of the boys. And I had like a specific like day in the season in mind where it was like true. I mean, no, we're really trying. No, because his ERA in 1982 when he was released was like four something. Right. So there's no way that it was true. Oh, right. So like it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, it, it can only remotely be true if it's about the previous season. Anyway. I sort of feel like they've actually fit as many female characters in there as this story can realistically take. Unless they had him with Pam, as was the case in real right, life right. during that yes. time. Unless you decide seems not like to very make... very nice and supportive. <laughs> Unless you decide not to make the wife a, a sort of like kind of antagonist, yes. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little hard for that not to be a little bit of a ding, to be like, well, what was actually happening at this time? Well, he had like a a cool supportive woman in in his life that seemed like supportive even in the face of this all right well she's gone like it's hard for that really good point not to like like it feels like something to think about at least yeah 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 so i think maybe i'm gonna go 40 for that reason i was very appreciative of the effort that they made in their female characters because so many movies just don't even do that like they think oh well we've got a love interest here and so the female perspective is covered and there couldn't possibly be a reason for a woman to exist in the world and yeah. i felt like this movie did a good job of being like as a matter of fact women make up 50 percent of the population so we might even see a couple other ones in the course of this movie yeah i like that the female bartender also was like kind of given the news to w earl brown yeah no no no. like Like, she was in the know i know what the situation is in a way that you don't because like i am smart and i pay attention to the people around me yeah but i still i think on your point that the entire incorrect subplot is kind of misogynist i feel like i have to go with a 40 yeah yeah i'll go with that too and our next segment is titled creatively yes or no oh it's it's good would this movie be better with kevin costner in it i'm not so sure Mm. a young costner could be interesting here as bill but i don't know that he'd be a better fit actually i don't know it's that whole like heartfelt kind of thing that I don't know, maybe that maybe that's part of the thing that's sort of like missing along the lines of like what we've sort of talked about, about sort of treating stuff a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know that he quite has the vibe. If he could transform into that, it would be great. But I wouldn't want to rely on him doing same. that. Um, he could be a good fit for like. One of those Giants coaches. I mean, honestly, either of them I think would be interesting. That might make it like slightly better, but it kind of becomes reaching with a movie like this that is really, really focused on the one guy to the detriment of the other characters that are around him. So I think, I don't know, I'm kind of a soft no. For me, I'm a soft yes. I feel like, okay, sure, but I don't want him to... To play Bill Lee instead of Josh Duhamel. And so I feel like it would be marginal, right? Like I think it would be better if he were just playing 
one of the other coaches or I don't really see him playing the very angry player manager at the start. And that's the main performance that I wish weren't in here. And like, I like the GM. I think he'd perhaps be better than that other actor, even though I liked his performance. Yeah. But like, sure. Would the movie be slightly better if he were, you know, yeah, I guess that's probably true. But it's it's marginal. I don't think we need to call on Kevin Costner for this film. I don't think we need to light up our beacon yeah. with a Kevin Costner-shaped little cutout in it on the overcast sky. The, the cost signal. <laughs> yeah, the cost signal for this particular <laughs> film. I don't think we need to do that. Our next question is, does this movie reference Babe Ruth? You know what? Son of a gun. It does. It, it sure does. It does. There is a moment where Bill Lee says that Babe Ruth was someone's bat boy. Yes, uh, Larry, a member of his team, he says that he is so old that Ruth was his bat boy. Because Bill Lee is one of those people, like on that team, but I think he's only in a couple of shots. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think he's that's sort of him. like cameos yeah. as a. I was just like, wait, who's Larry? Yeah, no, it shows some other guy being like, Ugh. this is the same scene with the with the Claude line problem that I have. The important thing is there is a Babe Ruth there's reference. A, there's a Ruth ref. Is there a dog? There sure is. As mentioned before, there's a dog at the border. Yeah, I appreciated the presence of a dog. A little was, bit of a narc, though. Uh, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> definitely. But I, I just appreciated this movie's effort. And lest we forget some capitalist dogs screwing that spaceman around are yankees fans the main antagonist of this film well it's not straightforward but uh, not exactly and yet heck yeah they are they kind of are in terms of uh, bill lee's uh, journey lee hated the yankees oh yeah he has been quoted as referring to them as nazis and brown shirts it's astonishing so lee's career was never quite the same after he injured his shoulder in a brawl with the yankees what was going on was that lou Pinella collided with carlton fisk in an effort to knock the ball loose and, and fisk, he was out by like a mile yeah. so it was really just to like try to try to get him yeah and fisk hung on to the ball and then started fighting with Pinella, and then the bench is cleared and when that happened Greg Nettles specifically sought Bill Lee out because of a comment that Lee had made about a brawl three years earlier, saying that the Yankees were, quote, a bunch of hookers swinging their purses. So because of this quote from three years earlier, Nettles found Lee and flung him to the ground, tearing his shoulder out, and then Mickey Rivers attacked Lee while he was on the ground. And then at that point, the fight had settled and Lee got up obviously injured. Like you can hear the broadcasters say that he's injured. He's holding his arm. He goes over to say something to Nettles and Nettles punches him in the face and the fight starts again. Yeah. And for this, Lee kept a Nettles baseball card in his wallet until at least 1990, according to the article by Michael Clare that I mentioned earlier, saying that he, quote, hoped Nettles enjoyed the view and the smell, which hasn't gotten any better over the years. I actually believe that it is even mentioned in the athletic piece that I quoted as like a thing that he was still doing. 
And the I, I don't remember exactly when that article is from, but it is much more recent than 1990. And I think in that particular moment, the joke that Bill Lee was making about something of like, you know, for Bill Lee to be like sitting on Nettle's face for decades or something like that. And like, it was something that like, the transcription of it, like the quote of it sort of fades out because it got such a like, uproarious applause from everybody that he was speaking to. Amazing. He's like, I didn't catch the end of that because everybody was like cheering so much, basically. Apologies to our friend Brian Krause, who I know loves Greg Nettles, but also not apologies. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one other thing related to this that I love is that after watching the 2004 World Series from Hawaii, he had made a joke that following the loss and the breaking of the curse and, you know, all of this, that he made, he made a joke that Steinbrenner was going to move the team to the Philippines and rename them as the Manila Folders. I saw that and I loved it so much. I loved it so much. Oh, Billy. Oh, Billy, we love you so much. So our next segment is six degrees of baseball. Yeah. So, you know, the the thing here is that Peter McKenzie is the one of the first people that we see to to qualify here. And he plays Tim Manning, who fires Bill Lee and who like could be Jim Fanning, could be John McHale, could be like kind of both. I don't know. But he as well plays Happy Chandler, forty two, just like cornering that likability market in baseball films but of course we also uh it should be said because i don't know that he qualifies for anything else so there's no reason not to just sort of say it here is that our rodney scott of this film the wonderful wonderful sterling k brown he also plays sia yes <laughs> in the bash brothers experience Oh, uh, my, like perhaps my favorite part of that entire thing. And it's one of my favorite pieces of baseball film media. There's a part of me that almost wants to include, though, W. Earl Brown, so that he's remains not the only Brown in town. Sterling K. Brown, those like... Those brown boys. Noun, noun initial brown boys. Name initial, initial name. Right. They're not the same person. They're not carbon copies of each other. And they... I'm sure that gets alleged oh, all the time. I'm sure, yeah. Oh, my God. Remember that those news cycles I thought would never end where people were talking about nothing but whether W. World Brown and Sterling K. Brown... Were the were, same person. Were, in fact, the same person. Yeah. I'm just thinking about W. World Brown playing Warren in There's Something About Mary, who is kind of baseball obsessed or at least is like mm. looking for his baseball. And there are some baseball moments in it. It's not enough to do a podcast about, but it's not nothing. It's enough to mention. Yeah. Wonderful. So we talked a little bit about the difficulty that we had in picking these next two categories, but what was your favorite moment? I kind of, there's a part of me that wants to say the, the tussle with the mailman who's named Sully where they sort of like fight in it's a, really good in this kind of like not super serious way. They're just kind of grappling and like rolling around on the ground. And then 
one of them's like, see you tomorrow. And the other one's like, okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's astonishing. Like, like just sort of going to that kind of like friendly goodbye, just like kind of killed me. I thought it was really, really funny. And um, I'm, I guess I'm going to go with that because I think the other real option was the scene where there just like was food and Bill's mustache the whole time. I thought that was really, really funny. And I liked the fight that broke out that like everybody got involved as well. Yeah. It felt very accurate to like Canadian hockey culture and also to Bill Lee's biography. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I even really, the umpires getting involved. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it so what about much. You? Yeah. So There are so many great moments, so many funny moments, so many lines that I really liked that we didn't even talk about. But I'm actually going to choose a sort of heartfelt moment, which is in his inspirational speech when Lee says, we're all just looking for freedom from our own minds. Mm. And I was like, dang, it's so true. Like stories in any form, films, books, art, yeah. Like sports, the pursuit of knowledge about something else, games, fun times with friends and loved ones, like religion, if you like it. These are all things that are about freedom from our own minds. Like all the best things yeah. for any person is about sort of getting outside of themselves. So preach, Bill. I liked it. What about your it's, least favorite moment? I think I'm just going to go with... Ernie Hudson's character negging his wife like mm. he does. It's a good choice. Yeah. I don't know. It just like, I'm like, I, I feel like this was meant to kind of be like, yeah, that's the whole point of the joke is that like, he's like, oh man, this gargoyle that I have to live with. And then you like cut to her and she seems like very like nice and like sweet and pretty. But if that's what it was, like, I guess it didn't succeed with me because I was just like, something about this just feels not. Yeah. For me, it is the moment when Lee is sitting in the dugout after his failed Giants tryout and the voiceovers of all of the moments in the movie that we have already seen (laughs) about it being business and about how he has to find another career. It's just, it's really not trusting the viewers that they have seen the movie that they've just seen and are picking up on the themes. And it, it just feels ham-fisted in a way that like despite some kind of things not quite aligning nothing else in this movie feels quite as ham-fisted as this I feel like this kind of like you know voiceovers playing over whatever really only works comedically at this point in cinematic history in my opinion so yeah uh what about a scene you'd like to see I don't know there are nits that I could pick about this or that thing at the end of the day what I would most like to see is just like a little bit anything that would just sort of make me feel like the film was not like so in the bag right from the get-go like I sort of wanted I sort of felt like I would have ultimately been on his side more if I had seen him be like challenged a little bit more just like I didn't feel like there was like a whole lot of conflict that we saw where there were real stakes to like what was going on. And it made it like just like a little less interesting to watch than it than it could have been. Yeah, I wanted to be like thinking about what was making him like a different person and setting him apart. And like there's a certain like dangerousness to that. There's a certain like 
questioning that comes across when you sort of like encounter a sort of larger than life person, like sort of doing their own thing. I I wanted a little bit more of like the messiness of that. And I think that there are ways that it is like sort of present, but it just like, I just didn't feel that's why I sort of felt it. Why I said it felt sort of like a pageant play ultimately was like, I just didn't feel like it was really trying to do anything other than lift him up. I wanted him to be just considered a little more complexly. Mm. I mean, to fight that a little bit, I feel like there are plenty of ways in which the film is down on him a little bit, right? It's not necessarily accurate things, right? Like he's he's portrayed as not appropriately caring about his children, right? He only wants them to come see him pitch. He doesn't care to go see his son play baseball in yeah. this version of it, right? And I But then like we never see him do that, but we do see at like no cost like Bill Lee's dream of the kids coming to see him pitch as like one of the final shots of the film. It's a problem. It's absolutely a problem. But I think that there are ways. I also honestly think that like the film is not with maybe the exception of deciding to create the whole subplot as a divorce subplot. Like, I don't feel like when there is depicted misogyny that the film has the same point of view. I think it's a little bit like, you know, we like these things about this guy, but also he's kind of misogynist, you know. Or yeah. like, I feel like there were things that they were trying to do or he's, he's drinking and partying too much, right? Like he, he's no longer yeah. sort of has the balance. I feel like there were a lot of things that they were trying to make him not perfect in this movie. For me, I've already talked about it. It's obviously just having a climactic scene where they're actually playing New Brunswick at the end. I think it transforms the whole trajectory of the movie to have that. I think it makes it feel more like a sports movie that we're used to. Um, But another suggestion would be to have some more cartoon elements. Yeah. Not like enter the live action world. I don't know how expensive that is. Right. But like if he's smoking pot to just have like a little, some little character, you know, kind of like float across the sky or something like that, like to kind of incorporate that part of the world with the rest of it a little bit more. No, that was actually something that I had written down as a possibility as well. What I was thinking of, because I was also like, there were times where I was thinking a little bit about budget, but like, you know, like you could still find ways to fear and loathing in Las Vegas it just like a little bit. Like a little more animation would be great, but to find ways to distort the reality a little bit like a little bit more of that i think could have gone a long way who's the dreamiest it's billy it's billy especially the real billy yeah well but you know depending on what your dreaminess categories are like josh duhamel is like not a hard person to look at no it's true it's true it's true but i just find the real billy to be more lovable no shade against Josh Duhamel. What yeah, about great. your favorite performance? It's hard not to say Duhamel because like he's the lead and he's got the most to do. And I do think that he really does good work. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me not to pick Ernie Hudson when I see Ernie Hudson in something. Just because he's so... He's just got this like very like great effortless good-natured vibe like I just kind of like always want to be watching him he's just like 
I think that there are things that are really easy for him that are really hard for me. And I'm just like so <laughs> impressed every time that I see him kind of in part as a result of that. By the way, there are things that I'm very good at that he's probably also very good at. <laughs> yeah. I think that W. Earl Brown and Ernie Hudson are real contenders, but I am going to give it to Josh Duhamel. I, I think he gives a really great performance. So thank you so much for joining us for both parts of our Spaceman oh, review. yes. If you liked this review, please review us. Truly need some reviews. I mean, and even if, hey, if you've got enough, you can always use more, right? True. It's true. Um, next time, we are going to be talking about the bad news bears in breaking training. Yeah. Uh, strap in, folks. This one's going to be maybe a little different or the of the sort that we haven't maybe done in a little while, which are sort of... I have not seen this movie. It's maybe going to be a little bit of a schadenfreude episode oh, for Lord. for oh, the no. listener. Oh, no. Hey, but they're some of our best. Yes, I suppose they are. They are. I, I really like it when people <laughs> listen to like the weird pain that we subject ourselves to. <laughs> My personal favorite episode that we've ever done is the Airbud episode. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a masterpiece about a masterpiece like three hours of it <laughs> if you would like to find us on the internets between now and then oh boy all right strap in so i'm on twitter at ellen underscore adair i am on ig and threads at ellen adair g i am at blue sky and post as ellen adair no underscore but i think those are all the places I wish we'd just decide yeah. where we're all going to go. I am at Eric Gildy on most of those things. I'm just jealous of you that like other people aren't named Eric Gildy and you can just get your name. It's good to be king. What can I say? And, uh, you know, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. I mean, I do also have your last name. And so <laughs> a lifetime of people in doctor's office waiting rooms being like, Miss Glide? All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And before we end this episode, I just wanted to sign off with a Bill Lee quote that I love from the 1980 High Times article that is not in reference to baseball at all, but I was like, look at this person. So here's what he said. Quote, look, the earth can keep replenishing and adapt if you treat it right. You can't poison the atmosphere because you have to burn more coal. The balance of nature is a very fine thing. Your main priority is not energy. It's balancing your systems on planet Earth. That's where my politics are at. Dreamiest player, right? <laughs> and we will talk to you next time on Take Me Into the Ballgame. Bye, guys! Bye, guys! Bye, guys! Bye,